from the beautiful Pacific Northwest, across the nation, and around the world, you are about to finally learn how to lose weight joyfully. It's time to get wasted with Renee. Live with Renee Steelman on TalkZone.com. Hi. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. I hope you're having a great day today, and I hope that I am finding all of you plant-based, positive, and productive. And I also hope that I'm finding all of you laughing your heads off today because that's what we're going to talk about. Our show today is going to be centered around the benefits of laughing. And we all probably have heard the old saying laughter is the best medicine and it truly truly is doctors are even saying that you know just even if you're just feeling run down a little bit sluggish that laughter can you know put a spring in your step and and just make you feel better all over and i mean they've done actual research and found that you know just the act of laughing makes people feel better and that a good sense of humor a positive attitude and you know friends and family around you is sometimes really all that people need. I do think that we take ourselves a little too seriously in this country and that we do need to lighten up a little bit and laugh at ourselves. I think uh, part of the problem with the political correctness is not being able to laugh at yourself. And I know as a parent, you know, that it's important to be able to listen to sometimes what your children tell you, you know, oh, mom, you're, you're, that was the stupidest thing I've ever heard, you know, or whatever. You need to be able to go, yeah, that really was, wasn't it? That was really bad. I don't know what I was thinking. And how much better life would be if we could all learn to just, you know, laugh at ourselves. And the funny thing about laughing is that actually physiologically changes you know our bodies when we when we laugh i mean we stretch our our facial muscles our pulse and our blood pressure go up and we breathe faster and we spend we send oxygen to our tissues it's it's like going for a great jog or a mild workout and you know i remember one time my brother and i uh, went uh, back to England with my mom and dad just to visit some family and and you know it's a long flight and you're 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 just busy and you're on the go and so there was a little bit of a lack of sleep so I swear we were rummy the whole time we were there but um, we would get to laughing over stupid things like he would you know he's a big Seinfeld you know, fan. And so he would be talking about an episode on Seinfeld and we would just start laughing. And then we got, we got hooked on, um, clotted cream. It seemed like everywhere we went in England, they were pushing clotted cream. And so we just started like making up jokes and laughing about, you know, clotted cream. And so then we went to, we took my very dignified and very, very conservative aunt to the theater. And um, in, in, in halfway, you know, at the intermission in the theater in England, they actually brought down like um, uh refreshment trays with candy and things like that and there was clotted cream and we just started laughing and my aunt was just like I say what is wrong with those two people you know but my ribs hurt I mean I my I would wake up in the morning and my ribs hurt from laughing so much and I think that's what actually made the trip so much fun so we're just going to be talking today about how important laughter really is I mean hey this is a fitness and, and nutrition show, and laughter actually burns calories. So, um, 
you know, anything that'll burn calories, I'm all for. You know, and the great thing about laughter and humor is that it's infectious. You know, how many times have you been watching a show? Saturday Night Live is a great example of that. And the, the, you know, the people on the show, the players on the show, one of them cracks and then nobody else can keep it together. And pretty soon the entire crew is laughing and the skit is just off, you know, just going who knows where. And because laughter truly is contagious and sometimes, uh, you know, you'll just pass a group of people and you'll hear them laughing and you'll find yourself just kind of starting to chuckle a little bit. It really is almost as contagious, if not more contagious than coughing or sneezing or, or sniffling or whatever. And the great thing about laughter is that, you know, you share it with other people and it, it binds people together. It increases happiness, you know, for everyone. And it, it truly triggers healthy physical changes in the body. And that's why we're we're going to be talking about that today. Now, the way that we're going to be talking about that today is that we are going to have one of the funniest comedians on the planet on the show today. Uh, we're going to be blessed with the presence of Chicago Steve Barkley. And we're going to be talking with Steve, asking him about... You know, how he got into comedy and how he got his name, Chicago Steve, and everything that you're ever going to want to know about uh, living a comedian's life. And, um, you know, I love telling people about my acquaintance with Chicago Steve. They're absolutely, they're always like surprised. But um, uh, Steve and I have actually known each other. I've probably known Steve longer Almost longer than any other person on the planet. I've known him for over 60 years, if you can believe that. And the reason why I've known Chicago Steve for that long is because he's my big brother. So, Steve, are you on the phone? I happen to be. Yes, I am. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> That's fabulous. All right. <laughs> and you can hear me and I can hear you. Yes. Okay. So I was just explaining to the audience that um, you're my big brother uh, Steve is three years older than I am, and so I have been blessed with having uh, his his way of laughing and his humor in my whole entire life. And I have lots of fun stories of growing up with a comedian big brother, and uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. So, Steve, how's uh, how's life in California today? Life is actually pretty good. It's a um, uh, wintertime in California is, uh, as you know, is absolutely brutal. Uh, it was, uh, the temperature was way down in the uh, mid sixties and, uh, it's just, it's, oh my God, I, I, I'm going to have to turn the air conditioning on. It's brutal here in California. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. You know, I remember when, you know, Steve used to live in uh, Monterey and it's a lot cooler in Monterey, right? Is it cooler there than where you're at now? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause you got the fog, you got the fog all year, uh, all year long and, um, um, actually, uh, I lived in Pacific Grove, California, uh, the uh, called Butterfly Town, and uh, it was uh, just 32 years of fog. Actually, began to grow gill slits in back <laughs> of my ears, and I uh, was able to actually breathe underwater. So it, it was it was nice because when the aquarium opened up, um, I would uh, do displays there. <laughs> well, see, there's a there's a silver lining, right, for, for everything. There, there's, 
there's always. You just have to look for the silver lining. Exactly. And I remember when you used to bring your daughter up to, you know, the Pacific Northwest and she'd be running around in our backyard in just a diaper and barefoot. And you'd say, this is so great because I can't do this at home. And I remember going, you live in California. What do you mean you can't do that at home? Yeah, the peninsula is a beautiful place. I'm really blessed to have to have uh, spent, you know, as long as I did there. But, man, I mean, I used an electric blanket all year long living in Pacific Grove. It was, uh, it was, we'd get, we'd get summer for about, uh, oh, maybe the month of September, early October. It would be, it would be moderately nice and everything. But then the fog would be there and it was, uh, but then I moved up. I moved up north. We're living up near uh, Grass Valley now and, the summertime, people actually burst into flames, running from their from their uh, the stores to their cars. It's hot, it's really, it's really hot. Oh, that's so I had to change. I had to change my wardrobe because all my clothes are black, and because uh, black is the new black. And yes, um, so I, I have a lot of black clothing because living in in the fog, it was a uh, it, it was good. But now, you know, it's. People say, yeah. "How was the funeral, Steve? How was the funeral?" <laughs> I don't know. And it's, oh, it's just—it's a fashion statement. It's like I, I am an actor. I am an actor. This is what I wear. Yes, that's it. That's it. And I'll—I'll I'll well, start wearing black when they come up with a with a darker color. That's right. Exactly. Well, okay. So you and I—you know—we grew up in the Chicago area, and I know one of your funniest parts of one of your skits is—you know—you talk about growing up in Chicago, and I know um, for me as well. When we moved out to the Pacific Northwest, the high school that my very cruel parents moved me into um, because they moved me my senior year, but that's a whole nother psychological topic. But, um, you know, this school was like an outdoor campus, so you would have to go from building to building to go to the different classes. And these kids were dressed, you know, with scarves and hats and mittens. And they, and I'm like, uh, it's 48 degrees here, people. It's I not know. cold. <laughs> I know. I know. When I first got to California, when I first got to Pacific Grove, I would go down, I'd watch the surfers, and I wanted to be a surfer so bad. And so I, I borrowed a surfboard, and you know, and I'm out in the water, and the other surfers are going, dude, aren't you freezing? And I'm going, no, this is quite nice, actually. <laughs> and it was just downright balmy. And, but then after living there, it was like you go into the water, you go, oh, my God, it's freezing. I can't yeah. swim in this. Yeah. I need a, dive, I need a small submarine. Yeah. I know you do acclimate. I know. I know my daughter Haley when she moved down to Texas, and then she would come back home, and she was freezing all the time because she she acclimated. She got used to that that hot weather down there. So, all right. Well, Steve, we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back. We're talking today with Chicago Steve Barkley, and if you would like to call in and ask Steve any questions, you I would love for you to do that. You can call in at eight eight eight. Four six three six seven four eight. I'm actually going to be giving away two tickets if you happen to be living in the Portland, Oregon area. Steve is going to be uh, performing at Harvey's. He's going to be headlined at Harvey's in uh, the middle of April, April 15th to the 19th. And I'm giving away two tickets. So if you'd like to call in and ask some questions, uh, ask Steve all about his comedic life, uh, that would be wonderful. So give us a call and we're going to take a little break. Welcome back. You're listening to Get Wasted with Renee on Talk Zone. Here's Renee Steelman. 
Hi, thank you so much for joining me today. I am having a wonderful day. I hope you are as well. Um, I'm having a funny day because I have as my guest today Chicago Steve Barkley, who is one of the funniest comedians in all of the world. And um, Steve, I wanted you to tell everyone about... You know, people, I, I, when I hear people interviewed, uh, comedians interviewed on, uh, the TV, uh, on TV shows and stuff, they always say, you know, were you funny as a kid? Or did you come from a funny family? So, so I'm gonna ask you that annoying question. So, were you funny as a kid? My answer is yes, but you tell the story. <laughs> I was. I, 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 if you're a comedian, you're born, you think funny, you think differently, and, you know, I remember, you know, I was always, I was the class clown and I would, I would always be, you know, making jokes. And I remember in third grade, you know, the teacher saying, uh, Mr. Barkley, if it's so funny, you can get up and tell the whole class. So I always get up and do 20 minutes. And, uh, <laughs> and, and then, and then pretty soon she was charging, uh, you know, a two milk token cover charge at the door. And, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it was, I was booked, I was booked every week, but, uh, I mean, I came, you know, as you know, I mean, the Barclays um, were always, they had a great sense of humor. And I remember our family reunions, they would sit around and, and tell jokes. And, and it just, I loved sitting there listening to the jokes. And, and although some of the jokes weren't for us kids to hear, you know, I, I really liked them. The same with, you know, on, on mom's side of the family. You know, it, there was always a lot of laughter, and, and I remember her and, and, and all my aunts and, you know, sitting around and laughing and everything, and, and um, there's, there's just always a lot, of, a lot of laughter in our family. So I grew up, I grew up thinking, and then mom, uh, you know, got divorced and, and married our stepfather, our, our very British stepfather, and uh, he introduced me to the person that changed my life forever, and that was Jonathan Winters. Yeah. And uh, he had some Jonathan Winters albums, and I would listen to these albums and memorize these albums. And, you know, I'd go into school, and they'd be going, my God, this kid's a genius. He's so funny. And it's, <laughs> it's because I was doing all Jonathan's, uh, Jonathan's <laughs> material and everything. I'm like, you know, it's poor dad. <laughs> you know, he just didn't know what he was he was taking on when he married mom. <laughs> I you know. know. I think what you were eight, uh, yeah. seven or something, and... and you know, and, and I was I was eleven, and or I I'm, I might have been you know ten or something. I don't know. I don't remember. Very young, and you know he was very upper crust British family, and and I mean he's an earl for God's sake, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know when he comes, he, the things that he must have been thinking, you know, when Mom introduced us, you know, he he saw you and he goes, oh, look at this beautiful little blonde haired blue eyed. Lovely little angel, how sweet, how wonderful it must be to be her father. I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, and then I came in, he goes, yes, yes, yes. I see. Let me ask you a question. Does, does it sleep in the house? And will it be sitting, will it be sitting actually at the dinner table with the rest of us? You know, it's, it's, I'm not sure. And I, is that is that the back door? Could I get out? Could I get out that way? Is, is it yeah. possible to get out that way? Yeah. How do boarding schools work in America? Can we? Can yeah. I let me, let me look up my old master? I'm sure we can get him in. <laughs> it seems that the boarding schools are too expensive, but you know, prison looks like it might be affordable. If there's some way we could stick the child in Leavenworth or maybe Folsom. 
that we could, uh, you know, at least till he's 18, and then we could simply have him executed. <laughs> well, you were, you, know. you were doing a pretty good job yourself getting your way. I mean, I think mom was dating dad. And you were, like, I, I have so few memories. I don't know what the heck, what I was on or what I wasn't on when I was a child, but I swear I have, like, three memories from my childhood. But I do distinctly remember the standing behind mom when the guy came to the door with his daughter, with her tooth knocked out, that you you had shot the slingshot and knocked her tooth yeah. out. You know, I mean, there's a single mom. She's got two kids. And I just remember her trying to be, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, no, we'll, we'll be more than happy to take care of that. And, you know. <laughs> I, 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 we were, we had gone down to Hornsby's small department store and bought these wonderful, magnificent slingshots. And uh, we, I don't know how it happened, but we were uh, across the street from the house. And the two sisters were on their, their, their screened-in front porch. And we were exchanging insults, and and the girls would open the door to the front of the, the screen door, and they would stick their tongues out, and then they'd slam the door, and we would shoot the rocks, and the rocks would hit the front door, and then they would they would open the door again and and yell something at us, and then close the door, and we would shoot the rocks, and they would hit the door, and I thought I got to time this perfectly. So she she opened the front door, and I fired the slingshot and smacked her right in the mouth with a rock and knocked her knocked her front tooth out and saw her drop to her knees and, and I thought I, I possibly have a future in a sniper and and I, we chucked on our bikes and I rode home and I figured I got away with it I don't know how well living in a small town everybody knows everybody yeah you know and then then uh, he shows up with his daughter and she's she's got this gaping hole in the front of her mouth. And I don't know how mom, I, you know, I don't know how we got out of that one. Yeah. And I think oh, they geez. were, I think they were dating at the time. So yeah, you're right. She must have had some magical power. She roped that poor guy in. Yeah. Oh, but you know, God. I mean, <laughs> you were, you were like, I mean, I have uh, six children and four of those children are boys. And I feel as though I was prepared for everything that, that you needed to know as a mother because I had you as an older brother. So there wasn't anything that those guys could do where I wasn't like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what boys do. I know. I know how that works. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. I, I, I'm surprised Mom just didn't slit her wrists because of the, yeah. the things that I got. Plus, I was born with ears that made Albert E. Newman look normal. <laughs> I had these gigantic ears that stuck out. And my nickname in school from first grade, to sixth grade was Dumbo and 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 big ears and so you know there was fights all the time and and uh you know until in, until one magical day when I was we were uh I don't know if you were with us or not we'd gone out to visit uh our friend Nancy Malin we called her Aunt Nancy she was mom's best friend yeah and we uh we'd gone out to visit her out in the country and and her son Dale and I went to this little tiny grocery store out in the country and, and we were both drinking Royal Crown Colas with a, with a swirl bottle. And we were standing inside the store and I was drinking my cola and, and a couple of friends at Dale's came in and said, oh my God, what a freak. Look, can you fly with those ears? And I just, I just took a big slug of Royal Crown Cola and, and then broke the bottle over his head. And, and he fell back and knocked over the Twinkie display. 
and Twinkies and Hostess cupcakes and snowballs go everywhere. And the guy that owns the store goes, get the hell out of here and kicked us out. And, and then him and I got into a fight and that was it. The next day, mom had me in the plastic surgeon. Yeah. And, uh, getting ready to have my ears put back, which was a little disturbing because, you know, the doctor was looking at me going, yes, I believe there's things that we could do to him. We could, <laughs> we could make him normal. Yes, bring him over here, Mrs. Kickstart. That'll be fine. You know, it was, just, it was bizarre. So then I got my ears put back. and Yeah. And I do remember forever. that. I remember mom was so mad and she was, she was in mother bear mode. I mean, she was going to oh, defend her yeah. cub. And, you know, but isn't that sad, though? I mean, look, if that would have happened today, if you would have broke a bottle over some kid's head today, you would have been in Folsom. I mean, oh, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, 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 I, I remember I was sitting on my bike out in front of the house one day, and uh, I don't know where you were. I was sitting there, and apparently I had, I had a I, – sometimes I just couldn't shut my mouth because the words would come out of my mouth before I before the brain kicked in and said, no, no, you shouldn't probably say that. <laughs> and I, I, I guess there was this, this one kid that at the bus stop and, and he was, uh, he just wasn't very bright. And I used to just kind of make fun of him and play games with him, games. And I was sitting on my bike one day and he pulled up and, and, uh, got out of the car and punched me right in the mouth and oh. broke a, broke, broke a tooth. And this kid knocked me senseless. And I, I walked in the house and, and mom was sitting on the couch and I walked into the bathroom and pulled my bottom lip down and my lip, my tooth was broken. And I walked out in the living room and I go, look. And she goes, who did this to you? <laughs> and this kid, this kid had knocked me so senseless that I couldn't remember the names of my friends. I couldn't remember the name of the school I went to. And I kept saying, I don't know. I don't know. And she's like, you better tell me. And I'm going, I have no idea. And she, she's screaming at me. And I'm thinking, who is this woman? I really don't know where I am right now or who this woman is. You know, and, oh my God! And I looked over at our at our stepdad, and he's over there going, "Oh my God, what have I got myself into?" <laughs> I'm, I'm going sure. to join the French. I'm going to join the French Foreign Legion. That's all there is to it. I can't <laughs> deal with this madness. <laughs> I know they they handled kids a little differently back, you know, over in that country, over across the pond. Yeah. Well, you remember what well, well, Dad. If for punishment, he went to English boarding schools, and when they when they were uh, disciplined, they were caned. I yeah. mean, they were they they would they would be hit three times with a with a, a cane. So you know, Dad was in the British Army, and they had swagger sticks. So I remember the the first time that I really got in trouble, and and Dad Dad's office, he had this little umbrella uh, case, and he had his old military swagger sticks in there. And, and he'd say to me, I want you to go into my office and I want you to think about what you've done. And then I, I want you to pick out one of the swagger sticks and I'm going to command and I'm going to punish you. And I, and, and the, so the first time I really didn't know, I, I walked in and I, I'd chosen the swagger stick and, and, and he whacked me three times and I'm going, what? You know, so I, I, I used to read comic books and I had a big collection of Superman comics. So, in the future, whenever I would get in trouble, I would stop in on my bedroom, grab the big Superman <laughs> annual, stick that down my pants, and then, you know, he'd be going, whack, and I'd go, oh, please, it hurts so bad. Whack, oh, my God, I feel, oh, you're killing me. Whack, you know, and then, and then he would, he would come back and he would say, no, I want you to think about what I've done and, and what you've done in punishment. And he'd come back and, 
And he'd going, you know, that hurt me more than it did you. And I'm thinking, you're probably right, it did. It didn't hurt me at all. <laughs> if you only knew. Yeah. I, you you know, had I gotta, the – go ahead. I, I think I think he knew. Yeah. I mean, because when he would hit me, you got to be able to hear the sound of – it yeah. didn't sound like flesh being hit. It was like yeah. hitting a cardboard box. Yeah. <laughs> Magazines, flip, 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 flip. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you had the best – I mean, you are a voracious reader, and I envy your ability to re- actually retain what you read. But you were a monster aficionado. I mean, you oh. knew your monsters and your monster collection. I, I mean, first of all, let's just talk about how great that dad and mom built that secret, you know, cave for you underneath the stairs. Yep. And yep. then, I mean, l- having you let me go into that cave. And look at those monsters. I mean, I just thought you were the most amazing thing ever. Oh, I, I still, I still love monsters. The Universal monsters from the uh, from the 30s, and the Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, the Mummy. These were, I, I loved those monsters. I, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be uh, an actor. I wanted to be a monster actor like Boris Karloff or, or Lon Chaney. That was my that was my dream was to be. And I had every monster model. I had pictures all over my walls and and I subscribed to Famous Monsters magazine and I it was just it was just, what a great childhood. I mean it's just great, great memories. The monster movies today, my God, you know, they're they're snuff films. You know, they're they're not they're really not monster movies, you know. And yeah. I, I just I love the classic the classic old and I still do. I still collect I still collect Frankenstein memorabilia. You know, I, he's my he's my favorite. I think I like Frankenstein because I related to him because I was so chastised and harassed as a kid for being different because my ears were big and I I felt a kinship with the Frankenstein monster and uh you know and and the way that he was tormented and everything and and um so I I I could identify with him and you know there's still parts when I watch I watch Bride of Frankenstein my my wonderful wife got me the entire Frankenstein box set on on DVD and uh-huh. even now, when I watch Bride of Frankenstein, it, you know Karloff just portrayed this this monster in such a way it, it still brings tears to my eyes at the very end. You know, and it's yeah, just, just yeah, a great, great memories, great memories. I wish I had all those monster models now; they'd be worth a fortune. Yeah, well, I mean, the fact that you built them and painted them, you know, so detailed and. And uh, I don't know, just the way they were all displayed was just amazing. I mean, isn't that isn't that so true? Because my grandchildren, I mean, here we are, like sixty years later. I don't know when Bugs Bunny came out, but they they I put on Looney Tunes, and my daughter puts on Looney Tunes, and they laugh, and yes. they think it is so funny, and it's and it's so innocent, and you know, Wiley e. Coyotes getting smashed on the head with an andiron, and and everybody just laughs, and the humor. I mean, the humor the Bugs Bunny had. I mean, I you know, I'll say things now, and people look at me like you know, and I'll say, well, you know, uh, exit stage left, or I, this means war, or you know, these kind right. of things that Bugs Bunny used to say, and they're like, I don't get it, I don't know, you know, but I the still, kids I love still- it. They do, they do, because it's it's it's, um, it's ageless, it's timeless. The, the the humor still stands, you know. I still use Bugs Bunny, you know, aphorisms and stuff. I say, yeah, God, what a maroon, you know, and and, yeah. and things like this, <laughs> you know. I just I love the way they would they would portray all the old movie stars from the forties. Yes. In the, in oh the my cartoons. gosh, yes, they made fun of them and everybody loved it. 
They did. Yeah. They did. I know my, was, my granddaughter was in the back seat last night and we were, we were driving home and she was watching the Looney Tunes and she was totally doing that. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, yes, I will. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, yes, yep. I will. And she was, she was totally laughing and saying it. And I'm like, Oh, what a shame. I mean, I don't watch SpongeBob. I don't know. Maybe he is funny, but I think the kids are, are being depleted, not, not getting enough Looney Tunes in their daily oh, diet. I agree. I agree. I mean, the Tom and Jerry cartoons. I mean, I mean, just the, the way that they used to just explode the cat. I think that's where on the Simpsons, Itchy and Scratchy, that it was based on the old Tom and Jerry cartoons. You know, they were always, you know, blowing him up and everything. The same with the Wiley Coyote and the Roadburner. Yeah. You know? And it, and it was just the amazing, amazing violence that was in those cartoons. And, you know, we didn't look at those cartoons and then go shoot up a school. Yeah, or drop you know, an andiron on somebody. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or, you know, or put a stick of dynamite in their soup or something like that. <laughs> Although that is a good idea now that I think about it. Yeah, let me, let me work on that. Well, tell us, I mean, you grew up in like the, the last of the best of the days, I think, because to be an 18 year old kid, that just got out of high school and to say, uh, I'm going to California, bye-bye, and to hitchhike out to California. Tell tell everyone about that story. Well, I, I got out of high school, graduated in 1970, and really didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I didn't want to go to college because I just I, – I, I didn't like school. I, I, I It just – it seemed like I really wasn't learning what I wanted to learn in school. I loved radio. I loved I loved entertainment. So I went to the Columbia School of Broadcasting for a little while, and and then my high school girlfriend went off to college, and I was you know a lot of my friends had gone off to college, and I was California beckoned to me. It I always wanted to come to California, and you know my favorite TV shows. I'd watch the Munsters, and I'd see the the California cypress trees and the palm trees and. And, and sometimes they'd be at the beach. And then there was the Annette Funicello, Frankie Avalon movies, the surf, the surf movies. And then, and then, of course, you know, back in the 60s, there was the Beach Boys and Jan and Dean. Surf music was huge. And I wanted to, <clears throat> California just called to me. And so I was 19. I, I, I was working at a nuclear power plant. I saved <laughs> up three, three, that says a lot. Bucks. I know. I know a, a nuclear power plant called Dresden, and uh, <laughs> named after the German city that we firebombed in in World War II. Okay, okay. and <laughs> I, I know. So I, I saved up three hundred and fifty dollars, which at that time I thought was an enormous amount of money and could probably last me the rest of my life. And uh, bought a new pair of Fry boots and a backpack. And on April twenty first, nineteen seventy one, I went walked down to Highway eighty and. Hitchhike to California. <clears throat> my my intent was to stay out in California for maybe three or four weeks, and then and then come back. And uh, Dad had a another job for me, and um, I got out here to California. And I met a guy on the road hitchhiking. His name was Larry, and he was said he said I'm from Boston and I'm going to Sacramento to see my girlfriend. I'm going to surprise her. And I said, well, let's hitchhike together. And he said, great. So all the way out to California, we hitchhiked together. And we met a guy in, in Iowa, and he said, oh, I've got a friend in San Francisco. And if you just tell her that I said you guys were cool, she'll let you crash at her place. So we, 
we we got into San Francisco and we went to a phone booth and we called her and she goes, yeah, well, if he said you're cool, that's fine. And she let us come to her house and we we did laundry and and uh, took showers and everything and stayed overnight at her place. And the next day we hitchhiked to California, and it took us forever to get up there. We finally arrived in California in the Sacramento. It was about oh three thirty in the morning. Larry walks up to the apartment door, rings the doorbell. She opens the door and goes, oh, my God, Larry! <sighs> and her roommate, Rachel, runs out the bedroom door with a can of mace and maces Larry <gasps> right in the face. <laughs> oh, and, no. And, and, Connie, and Connie, which was a stroking, goes, no, Rachel, Larry, oh, my God, you mace Larry! And I'm going, holy crap, and I ran down the sidewalk because I don't want to get maced. Well, Connie's in there. She's making out with a Puerto Rican guy. She's got hickeys all over her neck. <laughs> they bring Larry in the house. They take him to the sink. They're washing his eyes out. And he's going, who's this guy? Who's this guy? He goes, oh, my God, I didn't expect to see you. I didn't know you were going to come. He goes, what's does that matter? You're supposed to be my girlfriend. <laughs> you know, and it was, oh, it was a nightmare. But those two said, listen, we're going to be moving to Monterey. And if you're ever in Monterey, give us a call. And we said, great. So I stayed in Sacramento with, with Larry and his girl, crazy girlfriend and her, and her roommate, Rachel, for four days. And then I continued hitchhiking down to uh, Southern California, and I went down to Riverside. And I went, because I had a friend down there from Morris named Keith, uh, Keith Benson. And uh, Keith was going to the University of California, Riverside. And so I... He was living in this little stu- uh, student apartment complex, and so I got an apartment, 75 bucks. That's how much the oh rent was back then. Gosh. Oh so my I, gosh. I got an apartment for a month, no furniture. All I had was my sleeping bag. And so I just stayed there, and um, I stayed there for a month. And then one night, I'm in the apartment, and I hear all this splashing and girls screaming. And I walked out onto the deck, and I looked down into the swimming pool, and there's like 100 girls swimming in the swimming pool and i went oh my god and i ran down to the phone booth and i called a friend of mine in illinois and i said you're not going to believe this there's like blondes and brunettes and they're all swimming and they're in bikinis and it's wonderful <laughs> and he goes are you kidding me i go no he goes say you're not lying say swear to god i go swear <laughs> to god and he goes i'm coming out there and so he hitchhiked to california oh my gosh so, when he got out there my rent you know a month had gone by and i didn't want to spend another 75 bucks so him and I took off, and we hitchhiked to Arizona. Oh. And we went to the Grand Canyon, and we he brought a tent with him. And so we actually pitched a tent at the Grand Canyon, and there were some hippies up there in a school bus. And they were already up there, so we hung out with them, and they were dumpster diving every night. And there was a grocery store, like a small Safeway up there, and we would go to the dumpster, and they were throwing away wonderful food. All because the expiration date, they couldn't keep it. So yeah. They were throwing away meat and chicken and bread and eggs and milk. and So we were just dumpster diving every night and eating like kings. So we oh, lived at the Grand Canyon for a couple of weeks. And then they said, well, we're going to go to California. Do you want to come with us? We said, yeah. So we got on the school bus with them and went to California. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, <laughs> we, first, we stopped in Las Vegas. And... Um, now I was getting, I, I, my money was getting really, really low. I think I had like 20 bucks left on. Ooh. 
And so we stopped at this, this buffet, and I was standing in the buffet line, and, and in Vegas there's slot machines everywhere, and uh, there was a slot machine at the end of the buffet line, and I threw a quarter into it, and I won $75 and, in silver dollars. And the guy, uh, the cook behind the counter said, you want to sell those? And I said, what do you give me for them? And he said, I'll give you two bucks a piece for those silver dollars. So I got two bucks a piece for oh the money. Gosh. Now I'm back. I'm back to my original stash. Yeah. And so I, I was able to go back to California, you know, with a couple hundred bucks again. And uh, first we went to Santa Monica and they had a friend in Santa Monica. We stayed at his place for about, oh, God, three weeks, went to the beach every day, hung out. We would, we met some girls. They were having a party. They lived in Beverly Hills. We went up to their party and they had this giant mansion and they had uh, the group, the strawberry alarm clock was playing at their, uh, at their, at their party. I don't know if you remember the strawberry alarm clock. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And they were huge back then, you know, oh, and, uh, oh God. And then we went from there to Santa Barbara. And in Santa Barbara, uh, the guy that was driving the school bus, his name was Alex. He was Greek, and he had met this American kid over in Greece who had been uh, mugged. And they took his money and his passport, and Alex helped this kid get a new passport and helped him get home. And the kid said, if you're ever in Santa Barbara, I want you to come to my house. My parents want to meet you and thank you. So that's what we did. Well, come to find out, this kid's father was the his dad invented the camera that the astronauts used when they went to the moon and took the pictures. Oh, my gosh. So we get to this guy's house. He's got this big house in Santa Barbara. He's got his own sailboat. So we stayed in Santa Barbara for a week, sailing, hanging out at the beach, having a great time. And then they decided, listen, we're going to go back to Pennsylvania. So I said, hmm, I wonder if Rachel and Connie are still in Monterey. So I hitchhiked to Monterey, and Rachel said they were going to be working at Denny's. So I got into Monterey at about 2 o'clock in the morning and started calling all the Denny's in town, and I got her on the first one I called. And she oh said, oh, yeah. Gosh. And so uh, we ended up crashing on the floor of their apartment for about a month. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, <laughs> it was just, and then I met, uh, this out, my Volks, I had a friend of mine named Steve Pope from Mississippi, drove my Volkswagen van out. Uh, from Morris out to Pacific Grove, and, and you know how much the gas cost him? It cost him seventy-five dollars in gas to get from Illinois to California. Oh my gosh! Now you're sounding old, Steve. Yeah, oh, I in know. my day, I only paid twenty-five cents a gallon. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter, I go. You know what? When I was a kid, mom used to give me a dollar, and I was able to go to the grocery store and get a loaf of bread, a dozen eggs, a gallon of milk a couple of candy bars, and you can't do that now because they've got security cameras everywhere. (laughs) Well, let's take another break. We'll come back with Chicago Steve and talk some more about, about how great it is to have laughter in your life. So let's take a break. Now it's time to get healthy and lose weight joyfully. You're listening to Get Wasted with Renee on Talk Zone. Here's Renee Steelman. Hi, welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me today. If you would like to call and ask Steve any questions about 
how he broke into the comedy world, you can call 888-463-6748. And Steve, I know that you, um, you got your name because you ended up rooming with a bunch of Steves. Steves and Stephanie's. Yeah. I did. I was, um, actually walking down, uh, to the beach. There was going to be a fireworks show and, and there were some people having a party. There was a guy standing outside and, and, uh, he said, Hey man, we're having a party. Come on in. And, and, uh, we said, great. And went into the party and his name was Steve. And he introduced me to this couple called Steve and Stephanie. And we just hit it off right away. And Steve was funny. He was from New York and we started making jokes and sitting around having a great time. And, and they invited us over to their home after the party was over. And so we went, we went over to their place and, um, we were sitting around talking and Stephanie said, well, where do you live? And we said, well, kind of on the beach. <laughs> and she said, no, that you can't do that. She goes, listen, my parents own this house. We don't have to pay any rent. I work at a restaurant right next door and, uh, I get to bring home all the food that they don't sell. Uh, and, um, so we pretty much eat for free. If you guys want to stay here, you can crash on the floor. And, um, there was already a couple of guys there named named Steve. There was a big Steve, and he was going to the Naval Postgraduate School. He was in the Navy. There was little Steve, who was the guy that introduced us. He was the guy that was sitting outside the party, and he was going to uh, community college. Uh, New York Steve, Stephanie's uh, boyfriend, didn't do anything. He was a beach bum. And then there was Mississippi Steve and myself. So there was five Steves and a Stephanie living at the house. So the phone would ring, and they'd go, Steve there? And she'd say, where's he from? And they'd go, uh, New York. She'd go, New York Steve telephone or Chicago <laughs> Steve telephone. So I got the name Chicago Steve, and I just kept it. Oh, that's and, great. Uh, that's, that's how I became Chicago Steve. Well, now, how did you how did you have enough guts to actually start doing stand-up? Well, I would watch comedians, and I would always think, that's what I do when I'm with friends. I, that's what I do. I make them laugh. And so I, I, I decided to, there was a, a bar downtown and I was friends with the manager and he said, uh, you should come down and tell some jokes. And I said, okay, all right. So I spent the day working on a, on a routine and uh, we got up to the nightclub, it was the boiler room, and we got up to the nightclub that night, and um, the manager said, uh, so you're a comedian? And I said, yeah. And he said, so how much time you got? And I said, 15 minutes. And he looked out over the, he wouldn't look me in the face, this big Italian guy, and he's looking out over the crowd, and he, he looks, he goes, uh, not tonight. And I went, what? He goes, no, not tonight. Tonight's not good. And I said, okay. So I, I left, I was feeling really rejected, and as I Walking out to my car, there was another little bar called Doc Ricketts Lab, and the front door was open. I could hear music, and I walked in, and I was I was upset. And I walked up to the manager, and I go, you know what you need here? And he goes, no, what? I go, comedy. And he goes, yeah, you know any comedians? I go, me. And he goes, okay. I said, uh, can I do the band break? And he goes, yeah. So when the band took a break, I got up, and that was when I started doing comedy. <laughs> it, was, it was horrible. People were actually taking the fruit out of their cocktails and throwing it at me. Oh, no. And I would I would come home. So I started doing that every Tuesday night. I would I would do stand-up comedy there, and I would get to do three 15-minute sets a night, and he would give me my drinks and $10. Oh, 
And mm-hmm. I would come home and I'd have maraschino cherry stains on my shirt. Because people would throw, <laughs> throw the fruit. <laughs> and they, were, they would go, you suck. And it was, it, it was, in stand-up comedy, you know how you're doing at all times. Yeah. There's never any doubt because people, it's not like the ballet where people, you know, just sit there and they're, they're very polite. And then after the show, I go, I really didn't enjoy the little dancers. He wasn't very good. <laughs> but, but, but the other one, you know, I don't understand. Why don't they just get taller dancers? Why do they, they they're always up on their toes, reeking for the toes. They should just get taller dancers. You know, and, and, you know, they do that. But in stand-up comedy, it's like if you say something and people don't like it, they let you know right away. So yeah. I started doing that. I, I, I did that. And then I saw an ad in the San Francisco Chronicle for the San Francisco Comedy Competition. And so I went up and auditioned for it and got in. And I did relatively well, which led to the guy that put the competition on. He booked uh, – he booked a series of comedy clubs, and he started using me as a MC. And so I started, uh, I started MCing and doing that. And you and have I, worked with like everybody. I mean, you've you've worked with, I mean, name it: Jerry Seinfeld, Ellen DeGeneres, Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, you've worked with everybody. Dana, Dana Carvey, Kevin Pollak. I've worked with Father Guido Sarducci. I, I, I don't want to give my age away, but I've actually worked with uh, Milton Berle, Danny Thomas, and Sid Caesar. Oh my I, did, I, did a, I did a show with those guys at the Circle Star Theater uh, in uh, San Jose, Redwood City, is you know, back in the uh, back in the eighties. Oh I've my worked gosh. with, uh, opened up for, uh, oh God, Ray Charles, uh, the Doobie Brothers. I was on tour with the Righteous Brothers. I opened up for the Everly Brothers, uh, Kenny Loggins. Uh, it's, it's, I've had a really fun, it's been a really a fun career. I've, I've, uh, actually did a show with the G. Gordon Liddy, uh, oh. with Alex, Alexander Haig from the Nixon administration. Oh I performed gosh. in front of, uh, Prime Minister Ian Smith, who was the Prime Minister of Rhodesia before Rhodesia became Zimbabwe. Oh. I did a show in, in front of him and his wife. And she goes, oh, that was very clever. Do you want your own material? <laughs> yeah. And then you did Elephant Parts in 81, and that was with Mike Nesmith. That was, that needs to be, that needs to come back out again. That was hilarious. I mean, my kids, uh, they were all young, you know, they were, they weren't that old in 81, but they still will repeat parts of that movie, you know, Lucy and Ramona. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, wow. that was so fun. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a terrific, that was the first video to ever win a Grammy. And, That's uh, he, he won a Grammy on that one. And Mike Nesmith, of course, from the Monkees, formed a, uh, his mother invented liquid paper. And, uh, he used to, uh, sit at the, at the dinner table and fill those little bottles with liquid paper. And then he would ride his bike to all, the office buildings in, I think it was Houston or Dallas, and he used to deliver liquid paper to all the secretaries. And she made she made millions doing it. And when she passed away, she left the liquid paper fortune to him. And he formed a production company called Pacific Arts. And Pacific Arts uh, started doing music videos, and that's where MTV came from. Mike Nesmith invented MTV. Oh my gosh, is he still doing it? Is he, he still, still in the? Does, no, he still does music, I think, and he still he uh, uh, he was recently on. Uh, oh my God, I'm having a brain fart. What's the TV show? Portlandia. 
uh, up there oh. where you are. Uh, he's appeared. He's he uh, he's on that show once in a while. Oh my gosh! I'll have to see if I can find an episode or two. That's a great show. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's uh, he's really good. So he still does a little acting. I'm sure he still still writes music and stuff. And and then uh, when they do monkeys um, uh, reunions and stuff, he occasionally drops by and and uh, appears with uh, you know. Uh, Mickey Dolenz and Peter Tork and and of course Davy Jones is dead. He passed away. Yeah. And uh, but uh, yeah, it was, it was getting to work with you know uh, Michael Nesmith from the Monkees. I mean, it was it was yeah. nuts being able yeah. to, to do that. And, you know, I'd I'd be on the set with him and I'd be looking over at him. I'm going, holy cow, that's Michael Nesmith. I used to yeah. watch him on TV when I was a kid back in Illinois, and now here yeah. I'm working with him. Yeah, yeah, that's just a dream come true. Well, you know, my favorite parts, I mean, I mean, you, you were America's funniest people, you know, won the $10,000 and I mean, you're kind of known as the motorcycle man. I mean, everybody, you, right. if I say, oh, my, my brother's a stand up comic and they'll go, oh yeah, and I'll say, yeah, you know, he, he was the motorcycle. Oh, I know the motorcycle man, you know. Um, it's amazing so, yeah. how many people know that bit. Yeah. It's, 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 it's worldwide. I had a friend of mine, uh, my roommate, Mac McDonald, out of Monterey, his brother, uh, lives in uh, Tokyo, and he called one night and said, I just saw you on TV here in Tokyo. And um, Rainier Beer, actually, some guys from Rainier Beer came into the Comedy Underground when I was working up in Seattle and saw that bit and took that bit and stole it and made a Rainier Beer commercial out of it. Oh. There was a, a, a guy riding a dirt bike through the forest, uh, and... Uh, as he was accelerating, it went Rainier beer, oh and my uh, they, gosh. It, yeah, they lifted it. They lifted that. But it's you know, all over I now. listened. Yeah, I listened to a whole thing on on the radio about comedians and how how impossible it is to put any kind of a patent or legal hold on your material and why why comedians can't do that where writers and uh, you know, other songwriters other people can can do that but co- comedians just can't because it's a it's like a intellectual property it's like well nobody can control what comes out of your brain so you know it's just the legal fight to have to prove that that was yours is too it's just cost a fortune oh yeah yeah it's it's just uh it's very hard to copyright your material. I mean, you, you can copyright some of it, but you can't copyright premises. And, yeah. And that's the thing. You come up with a premise, and um, you know, I always when I work with comedians, if I'm if I'm at a comedy club for a week, I always watch the comedians the first night to make sure we're not stepping on any material, uh-huh. because if a comedian comes up and he's doing a bit on you know cop cars. I do a bit on cop cars, and uh, so I want to make sure that I'm not going up on stage following him doing some of the same premises, some of the same material. Right. It's very, very hard. It's very, right. very hard. Yeah, I remember Rosie O'Donnell saying when she first got started, she totally would copy like Seinfeld or somebody's – she would just co- totally do her their routine, and they were like, you can't do that. She's like, oh, yeah. I didn't know that. I thought I could, you know. Well, yeah, I used to do Jonathan Winters' bits, you know, and, and oh. I, my favorite, one of my favorite comics was uh, Tom Dreesen out of Chicago, and, and uh, Tom Dreesen is just one of the most amazing comedians still working today, and he was, he's such an inspiration, he's such a great guy, he does all this charity work. Uh, Frank Sinatra chose him to be his opening act, he was, he was Sinatra's opening act for 25 years, 
He's just uh, he's an amazing guy. And I used to I used to see Tom Dreesen on the Merv Griffin show and write his jokes down and and do uh, Dreesen's jokes because because uh, Dreesen came from Chicago, so I, I would I would I would use his material. But that's how you that's how you develop your own style is yeah. you pattern yourself you pattern yourself after you know your favorite comics. And then, you know, by doing their material when you're, when you're first starting out, well, back then, that's what you did. You know, uh, yeah, young, yeah. Comic, young comics today don't, they don't seem to do that. You know, comics today, the young guys are just, they're brilliant. And, and the stuff that they're doing is, is just really amazing. I, at the comedy clubs, I, I watch these young comics. I'm going, wow, these guys are great. They're yeah. just great. We we grew up old school, and it's a, yeah. it's a whole different, it's a different animal nowadays. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, Steve, this has just been amazing. I've really enjoyed having you on the show today, oh, and I just too. want to remind everybody that Steve's going to be in Portland, uh, middle of April, and the dates are the fifteenth through the nineteenth. Is that right? Sixteenth through the nineteenth. Okay, sixteenth through the nineteenth, and uh, he'll be headlining at uh, Harvey's Great Comedy Harvey's Store. Comedy Club. Yep. Great, yeah, great, great best, club here in Portland. Club. Yeah, great club in Portland. You know, it's down at 6th and Gleason, and I'll be there the 16th through the 19th and Thursday through Sunday, and uh, one show Thursday, two shows Friday, three shows Saturday, and one show Sunday. Yikes. So, and in the meantime, uh, are you going to be in California? Or are you performing right now at different places, right? I am. I uh, performed at the uh, Whitehall Winery uh, the night before last night, tonight, uh, or tomorrow night, I will be at the uh, uh, little venue uh, in uh, Marysville, California, the Bombay Lounge. And then, um, gosh, I've got some corporate events that I'm going to be doing. That, uh, and then I'll be heading up to Portland in. Um, I, I I might be going to Reno in March. I, I'm okay. waiting to get confirmed okay. on that. I don't okay. know when that's going to be yet. And then I'll be up in uh, up in Portland in April. Oh, that's so great. Well, I can't wait to see you, and I know you always have sold-out shows. So, anyway, all right, brother. I love you. Have a great day, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks a lot. Take care, everybody. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was great. I just, I mean, having a brother that makes you laugh there, what's, what, you know, especially a big brother that, you know, uh, just was, I just remember one time we got into a sibling rivalry and he said something and I said something back to him that he had said, I overheard him saying, and it was some kind of a teenage, you know, thing that you would say. And he, he goes, Oh yeah, you can't say that. I was like, well, I heard you say it. And he's like, yeah, that's not nice. You can't say that. You know, that's what big brothers do. It's been a great show. I hope you have laughter in your life today. Um, you know, laughter really is the best medicine. It can solve a lot of problems. Um, just, you know, watch Jimmy Fallon tonight. Just listen to Ellen DeGeneres' show. Find something that will make you laugh today, and I'm sure your day will go a lot better. I, uh, I've really enjoyed this show, and I hope you have too. And you know what? Let's do lunch. See you later.